This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, We're back again as we are currently traveling through selected psalms. I like the psalms because they're very open and they're very honest. um, And they really get to the core uh, thinkings and feelings that we go through. And the one today is uh, no exception to that at all because it deals with a common Christian struggle. and, and, And let me tell you, there are common Christian struggles, and there are many of them. And we're going to deal with one of them today. This particular one, uh, like all the other Christian struggles, can bring doubt. Um, because this one has to do with um, comparison. That we, um, that we might look around and see people that do not have uh, the morals that we're living. They're not following God. Maybe don't want God. Maybe don't even believe in God. Yet, they're really prospering. And we look at their prosperity versus our prosperity, and we begin to wonder how we begin to doubt, you know, what's going on here, God? I'm serving you. I'm living the best moral life I can live for you, God. And yet look at what they've got versus what I've got. Well, this psalm is written in that vein. Psalm 73. And it's written by a man named Asaph. Now, before we read the psalm, you need to understand just a little bit about this guy. And I'll just give you a tidbit. In, um, <clears throat> in 1 Chronicles 25, 1 and 2, we find that he is uh, he's under the king, and he is the organizer and uh, the leader of the choirs in the temple. That's a high position of a worship leader right there that he's in. So this guy is someone that will people look up to, that people know, they see if they see him somewhere else, they know who this guy is. And yet, this particular worship leader, he struggles with the same question that you and I struggle with at time, and that is this, the prosperity of the wicked. Why are they prospering, and why am I not prospering. Or you could just say, why are they prospering at all? They're not living for you. They're not living right. They're very, very, they're evil people. So here we go. In Psalm 73, here we go. I want to say the first thing is this, as we deal with this particular issue. Never, ever begin with they. Watch what I mean as I read verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 73. So surely God is good to Israel. He starts right to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. That's a big statement. My steps had almost slipped. Why though? For I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, let me say a few things about this. I like the fact that he begins with that he acknowledges God is good to Israel. But if you really watched it just carefully, he shifts quickly. His focus moves from God, and it moves to the wicked, to they. They, they, the wicked, they are prospering. And the big question of that, when you shift away from God, uh, beginning with God, to they, 
he now encounters trouble in his soul. And specifically, it's envy. He is envious. It's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Because when we shift away from God to they and what they have, we shift, we, it's easily, it's an easy jump to become envious. Now, <clears throat> if he's dealing with the idea that they have a lot and he doesn't, which many of us deal with that struggle, Jesus, he has a little bit of a solution for us, or I should say a big solution, and that is, as he addresses in Matthew, in, yeah, Matthew chapter 6, there's a, he talks to us about worry and stress, etc. <clears throat> and he says, the reason why you worry and stress, why you're all worked up in your soul about this, is because you look at those who don't follow. You look at you know, the non, in particular the case, Gentiles, of what they have. And you worry about what you eat, drink, and wear, and you're thinking like they are, and you're acting like they are, these non-God followers at the time, non-Yahweh followers. And then he says this, don't start with they. You instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. He says, don't start with they. Start with God. That's what you always want to do. Now, that's the first thing I want to point out about that. The second thing is this. Asaph, this worship leader, he has doubts. And he has doubts that brought him close to stumbling. Now, notice he came close to stumbling. He didn't stumble. Very important to point out. Important to point out. He came close, but he didn't. But let me tell you something really important about that. Because Christians get this wrong sometimes, as if we got to be perfect in our faith, in our walk. You're not going to be perfect on planet Earth yet. Not till we come, you know, in the second coming. Now, <clears throat> Doubts here and there are not, and I repeat, are not incompatible with Christian living. What are you, what are you talking about here? Look, if you think that having a doubt now and then that God is so upset with you or you've just lost your faith, you're going down a wrong road. You're going to have possibly doubts now and then. That's what this man's having, and it has pertains to the Christian living for us. Here's what you do when you have a doubt. You study out the answer. You look and see what it says. You find truth on that. And I guarantee you that as you do that and find that out or sit with an older Christian and get the answers to the doubt that you're having, and it will always lead to a stronger walk of faith. It's going to lead that way in this man's life. So I would, I would encourage you to do that. Now, the second thing I want to say here is that if you be... Beginning with they, which he does, it will always lead to I. Beginning with they leads to I. Now it's becoming more self-centered, more uh, uh, pointed toward himself. Now watch verse 12, 13, 14. The result of him beginning with they, the prosperity of the wicked. He's struggling with that one. Now watch what happens in verse 12. <clears throat> he says, Behold, these are the wicked. He's making an observation about wicked people. He says, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. He goes, they, they got it easy, man. They're not stressing or worrying, God. Then verse 30, 13, he adds, surely. I mean, when he says surely, it's like for sure, man. He says, surely. And he started this whole 73 off with God, surely God. Now he goes, surely in vain. 
Uh-oh. I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Now he's questioning some things. Verse 14, he says, <clears throat> For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. The moment his eyelids open, it's coming at him. Now, <clears throat> here's what's going on. Um, he says, and this is a big statement because he's just being honest. He's talking to God. In vain, I have kept my heart pure. See, he moves from, if you begin with they, now you move to I. I, I have kept my heart pure. Instead of starting with God, he begins with they, and he ends up with I, himself. And his whole problem is, why isn't God good to me? What's going on here, God? You seem to be good to them. And he says, surely in vain. You know what the word vain means? It means fruitlessness. In other words, what he's saying is a couple things about that. He's saying, or he's questioning, does walking in holiness or righteousness, obeying God's moral law, does that really have any value? That's what he's questioning. Haven't you ever questioned that? He's saying it's fruitless. Haven't you ever questioned that? I'm living this way, living this way, and it's just not happening the certain way I think, and the evil are prospering. Is it worth it? That's a good question, isn't it? He's questioning. Remember, he's not stumbling. He came close, not stumbling. He's just questioning. The other thing that's happening here <clears throat> is within that he's saying, oh, then what good is living holy if the wicked enjoy the same prosperity? Let's say you and I are prosperous, um, and maybe he's saying that what's the good of me living holy and prospering if they're living wickedly and enjoying as much prosperity? Now, it's really bugging him, as it bugs some of us at times. It bugs him so much that in verse 14, he really dives in and he opens his heart and he opens his thinking process, and I'm glad he wrote it down. He says, I'm stricken. I'm afflicted over this. And how often is he stricken and afflicted? All day and all of the night, man. Morning, all day long, wakes up, there it is, not going away. It's in his head, wherever he goes, it goes, it is bugging him. It's in here, man. The question is this. It is a big question, and you got to remember this one. Where's the biggest battle? Is it up there, or is it in here? Huh, it's in the mind. It's the battle for my thinking. I protect my thinking as much as I possibly can because I want to keep my thinking according to the Word of God because there's too many people, including Christians, that want to sway my thinking, and sometimes they're not quite online with Scripture. So I protect my thinking and I filled up with as much of this word as I possibly can. But the battle's in the mind. Let me show you a verse, New Testament writer Paul, he writes in a New Testament letter called 2 Corinthians. He says this in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I'm afraid. Now, for a, a big unapostle to say something like that, you better listen. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, he's talking to Christians here, by his craftiness. 
your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Hmm. Let me break down a few words for you. The word mind there that he uses, that the devil's after, it means just your mental perception, the way you perceive things. He's going after your view. You want to be developing a Christ-like, a biblical world view. Not a you think and not a you feel and not a political worldview, but a biblical worldview. And then he adds the word, your mind will be led astray. Satan's trying to lead your mind astray. The word astray is an interesting word. You know what it means? It means shrivel, wither, corrupt, destroy. See, Satan, if he can get into our head and give us a little bit of bad chowder, a little bit of a lie, and remember, when he tempts Jesus, he always gives truth and he tails it off with a little bit of a lie. That's what he always does. You find it in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But if he can do that and get in here, well, it'll corrupt my thinking. He can wither my faith, shrivel it up, may not take it all away, but it will not be as clear as it should be. It'll corrupt my thinking. See, the battle's in here. So the question is this, how important is truth? How important is God's Word as truth? It should be the most important. It's the highest pursuit. See, Asaph, even though the situation out there is happening, why are they prospering? The battle is in here. And notice what he says next, because this is a really, really important verse in Psalm 73. Verse 15, he says this. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Mm, mm, mm. I love this verse. It's a transitional verse because he catches himself. He catches the way he's going down in his thought processes and the where he's going that's causing him possibly to stumble and his doubts and his confusion, and he catches himself. And what causes him to catch himself? Well, what he says. He says, look, if I speak this stuff that's going on in my head, if I start sharing all these doubts and the, my, the thinking that's going wrong, not only will I lead myself down a wrong path, I'll lead other people down a wrong path. I will betray a generation of people. Hmm. Spiritual leaders, spiritual heads of family. You got to be real careful, huh? Because you have influence, tremendous influence. You got to be reading God's word. Please be reading it. Memorize a few verses here and there. Because once you read it, get in your, and you think it and you speak it, and then you correctly live it to influence people. Isn't that what God told Joshua to do when they're right there at the Jordan River ready to cross into the promised land? He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be meditate, meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll find success. He says, look, you got to talk it. You got to think it. You got to do it. You got to get the Word of God in you. This book of the law, and in that particular case, he was referring to the Old Testament law. 
For us believers, we're New Testament people. We follow these New Testament teachings. You got to get that in you. <clears throat> so you influence correctly. Because there's a lot of well-meaning people out there who really believe a lot of wrong things. And they're going to try to influence you, your children, your grandkids, your siblings. You got to get it right. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. Beginning with God leads to understanding. If you begin with God, you'll get some greater clarity in your life. It's just that simple. Now watch this, watch verse 16 through 19. Watch what this writer, this worship leader ASAP, says now. When I pondered to understand this. Now he says, I wanted to understand this. See, he's not throwing away his faith. He says, I got to understand this so my faith is firmed up. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. I had troubles with it. Until. Until. I came into the sanctuary of God. Then, I perceived their end. Ah. Surely, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Now, let me first just say off the bat, you should not be happy about unbelievers and wicked people going to hell. Never be happy about that. Never. Our job is to win them to Christ the way somebody won us to Christ. It's that simple. And you're not going to win them if you don't love them. It's just, you're just not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Now, <clears throat> in these verses, if you noticed, he gains proper perspective. He gets an eternal point of view, which is a great point of view. He says, <clears throat> then I perceive their end. Ah, you know what their end means? Literally means their afterwards. Here's what he's coming to realize and what you and I need to realize when we have these, these common struggles, especially looking at the prosperity of a wicked person. He says, I, 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 I see their afterwards. I get it. See, he's saying, the wicked have it good now, and some of them have it really, really good now. But unless they repent, unless they turn to Christ, there's a pool date on how good they have it and how long that good lasts. There's a pool date on that. What he's saying is this, the ease and security of the wicked is an illusion. It's an illusion that will not last. The writer ASAP is now getting a really good understanding of what is going on now. Really good. Now, <clears throat> here's the big question. What did ASAP do to get the right answer to his doubts? What did he do? You know what he did? In verse 17, it says that he went to church. Wow. I was troubled until I came into the sanctuary of God. Whoa. How many Christians never go to church? 
or show up once every three months somewhere and say, oh, that's my home church. No, that's a place you visit occasionally like a vacation spot. That's not your home church. A home is a place that you go to regularly. He says, I was troubled and then I came into the sanctuary of God. I went to church. See, coming into the fellowship, being taught the proper viewpoint of faith towards life and how that works, it grounded him again. It brought him back to center again, to right again. I like that. Now his faith is stable. Look, I I can never stress enough, and it's not because I'm a pastor. Before I was a pastor, I went to church all the time. I loved it. Can't stress enough what the scriptures teach about being in fellowship, learning from Bible teachers. You got to be around and say, well, I watch online all the time. It's not enough. You need to be in the fellowship. That's a big piece of the puzzle. You need to be serving somewhere. Now, let me move on because that's not part of the message. The fourth thing I want to say is the result is, here's the final result of him with all this going on. I'm with God. That's what he comes to. I'm with God and God is with me. That's good. Now watch verse 21 to 24 substantiate that statement. I'm with God and God is with me. See, he's back on ground again. Solid ground again. Verse 21 says, When my heart was embittered, he says, when I was bitter because I was looking at the situation, and I was pierced within. Now watch what his bitterness and his jealousy, because remember he's envious. Watch what it did to him. Watch what it did to his mental condition, perception. He says, then I was senseless and ignorant. Whoa. He says, I was like a beast before you. Oh man, he's admitting some stuff. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. Verse 24, with your counsel, you will guide me. Think of the shift there. No longer what I think, what my mental perception, how I view this situation, your counsel. What you think will guide me, God. And then he says, and afterward, receive me to glory. Let me, let me finish with a few thoughts here. <clears throat> I like that he's honest because you need honesty if you're going to be healed emotionally. You're going to get to truth. You're never going to get to truth until you're honest about things. He begins first by saying how foolish he was because he forgot the truths about eternity. He forgot the truths about eternal justice. And he admits in those first verses that I just read there, he says, I was acting like an animal senseless. See, here's what he's saying. Animals have no idea of eternity. No, no, they don't. They don't think about it ever. They live in the here and the now, and their whole life is just satisfying their natural urges here and now, right now. That's how they live. And that's just true. Because I was, I was like that. And then he says, he goes on in verse 23, and he says, well, I'm with you and you're always with me. What a great reality. You're always with me, God. But I like verse 24 the best of all because here's what he says in verse 24. He says, God will guide me here on earth, which is great because we're followers, remember? We're not the leaders. We're followers of Christ. God will guide me 
on earth. But then in verse 24, he finishes by saying, and God will receive me to heaven. God guides me on earth, and one day God receives me to heaven. Now, let me, tie, let me finish it off. He says, <clears throat> in verse 24 there, he says, about God receiving me to heaven, he says, and afterward receive me to go to mm, 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 mm. Afterward, God will receive me to heaven. Afterward, that's an important statement. Because remember, <clears throat> back in verse uh, 17, he says that he looked at the wicked, he's in church, and he understand, and he perceived their end, the wicked's end, meaning he perceived their afterward. It's not a good afterward. They got a good now, but it's not a good afterwards. He's saying there, but I got a good afterwards. I got a great eternity. And this is where you have to always keep the balance of your life. That this world is not everything. You and I will not live forever here in this physical body. We will live eternally in eternity with a new incorruptible body. There is an afterward. And if you keep that thinking right like that, <clears throat> these common questions and doubts that we have as Christians, many will be just settled. He got his answer. And there are answers. He understood that the wicked have an afterward, but the followers of God have a different glorious afterward that just goes on and on and on. He got his answer. And it settled him. And it settled him. I hope it settled you today. Well, I'm going to pause here and we'll pick up a different psalm next time. God bless you. We'll see you later. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.